0: zinu which we shall read this week um, is there as a Shira a song which is to be remembered we sometimes find that we have a better recollection of the words of songs of poems than of prose uh, if you think back over songs that you know and sometimes you can recall the the words the lyrics and uh, much better than you could you know, remember a paragraph from a particular book. And uh, therefore, it is not surprising that Moshe says um, that Moshe um, comes along, gives all of the words of this song and says that these things, we already read in Parashat Vayelech, that these words of this song are going to be a testimony. Kittvu lachem et hashira hazot, v'lamda et Yisrael simah b'fihem. Put it in their mails. L'mantiyeli hashira hazot l'aid v'v'nei Yisrael. This is going to be a witness. And it is fascinating that here we, ha'azinu hashamayim v'adabera v'tishmah ha'aretzim r'ifihim, we call heaven and earth to be witnesses, but really the ultimate witnesses here are v'nei Yisrael themselves, who we, who will remember this song, who will remember this interesting literary creation with its own tempo and its own um, style, which will be more memorable than the rest of the Torah, in order that we will be able to understand our history. And this is exactly the purpose of the song. The purpose is, olam binu shenot remember the days of old, understand um, history essentially, Sha'al you will ask your father, he will tell you, uh, you will ask your grandfather and he will tell you. Um, the idea is that the shirat um, ha'azinu is to tell the historical tale of B'nai Yisrael so that we should understand that when events transpired for our nation, we shouldn't be confused, we shouldn't find it difficult to decipher what it's about there should be quite a clear prognosis a clear understanding of why events are transpiring so that we can figure out what our spiritual response should be so what story does shirata azinu tell i think it is relatively clear the the pattern that it's that it describes but maybe we will follow through um, the storyline and we'll point out a couple of interesting Features of the storyline, and then we'd like to make a few uh, a few philosophical comments or a few interesting spiritual insights. Uh, broadly, the 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 song tells the story of the sin, and then the punishment of Bnei Israel. Interestingly enough, it starts with uh, the creation of Bnei Israel. Uh, however, it doesn't mention Shibud Mitzrayim. It barely mentions Harsinai. Um it doesn't mention the Avot. What do, how does it start? It says Elyon Adam Gvulot Amim When God started creating the nations of the world, he established uh the 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 borders of the nations according to the number of Bnei Israel. And here how well how many of Bnei Israel are there? Here there are two possible interpretations. One is that there are 70 nations which correspond to the 70 Bnei Israel who descended to Egypt. The 70 sons of Jacob who came down to Egypt to start the kernel of the Jewish people. They would eventually leave 600,000 strong. Of course there is one other possibility because if I ask you what is the number of the children of Israel or the children of Yaakov you will tell me 12. And if you look carefully in Sefer Bereishit in Parshat Noach, you will see that the uh, number of nations who inhabit Eretz Canaan are twelve. Whichever way we go back to the beginning of our history, when we were only twelve sons, or possibly seven, a small group, a small family of seventy, and uh, we quickly switch to Yin Se'im Berez Midbar, to our experience of God finding us in the midbar, we skip Tziat Mitzrayim or the Shivud Mitzrayim, and we talk about how God took us through the wilderness, uh, with amazing miracles and wonders, as if, uh, like an eagle with its, you know, carrying its young, um, carrying us on his wings, Al-Kamfein and bringing us to Eretz Yisrael, a place where there is Tunuva, Tnuvat Sadai, There is the produce of the fields. There is the dvash misella, There is the honey from the rock. Shemen michalam We're talking about the agricultural bounty of Bnei Israel. However, this bounty leads to vayishman yushurun vayvat shamanta avit kasita pasuk tetvav. Am Israel experienced the plenty plentiful um, food of Eretz Israel. And they become fat, and when they become fat, they kick back at Hashem, and they abandon God and uh, start worshiping uh, idols. They worship all sorts of uh, demons who are not gods. Elohim lo Yadaum, gods which have not been known. Chadashim all sorts of new fads, new gods. You forgot the God who created you and God's result of this is to respond by saying If they angered me without a God they're saying I am not their God I will take vengeance saying that they are not my people and the result of this is terrible, terrible or raot terrible evil we talk about all sorts of uh, uh, arrows in other words indicating invasion military uh, trouble not only that but we have now mazerah for mariri all sorts of uh, hunger and and other other evils including chamatzoh um, chale afar the the anger or the venom of those who crawl in the dust the the implication here being that uh I don't know whether this is metaphorical or literal. One imagines it's more metaphorical than anything else. We will be attacked by all sorts of uh all sorts of beings. What follows after this is somehow at some point there is a turnaround and God decides to have mercy on his people and to uh destroy the enemy. And after the terrible uh endurance that the Israelites had to suffer uh Hashem eventually comes round has mercy on them and in fact uh destroys their enemies and this is the narrative this is the blueprints this is the blueprint of Jewish history that has been experienced just so many times so 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 many times now when you open the uh, farshim for Shirat HaAzinu, you will see that the way they relate to it, um, that this is the ultimate story of the of the Jewish people, which is the story of Galut and Geulah, the story of um, exile and redemption. And um, among the people who talk about this is to say, it, it, are, are the Ramban and others who say that uh, this entire story outlines in advance the narrative of how Jewish history will unfold. However, I'm going to take issue with this uh, particular reading, um, and this on, not on my own, uh, my own basis, but rather on the basis of my teachers, Rav Yol Bin Nun and Rav khanan Samet, who, on a close reading of Shirat HaAzinu, uh, make a very important observation. And they observe the fact that Shirat Azina in fact, contains no reference to Galut, no reference to exile from the land. When you look at this uh, particular Shira, you never see that we leave the land. It is true that we um, suffer all sorts of uh, evils, that we're invaded by enemies. These eni- enemies are enemies not only of ourselves, but enemies of God. And yet at the same time, when you look at the, 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 the book, we never see ourselves going down to Egypt, to uh, Aram, to Ashur. We never see the notion of a return to Eretz Israel. Um, we just, again, I'll, I'll read a few lines. We have the terrible uh, Galut. The sword shall deal without, so as shall the terror within. Um, God says, I might have reduced them to naught. Uh, we will come back to this uh, Pasuk. I might have made their memory cease amongst men but uh, he talks there about um, how how one have routed a thousand or put ten thousand to flight he talks about um, the vine is for them from Sodom the vineyard from Gomorrah their grapes are for poison etc but we never see Am Israel here Leave Eretz Israel. We never see a an abandonment of of the borders of our land. In which case, how are we to understand this story? And maybe let me elaborate on this observation by pointing something else out. Many people look at Shirat Tazinu and they say, "What do we need it for? We've already had the Tochacha. We've already had the awful predictions of Chapter Twenty Eight of Sefer Devarim." We've already had Parshat Nitzavim which also talks about how God will seek out both individual and collective and he will uh, punish us for our wrongdoing, for our abandonment of, of, of God. And here for a third time Shirat Azinu outlines a, a prediction of sin and ensuing national ruin. And why do we need this to be repeated time and time again? Of course one of the answers is that here we have the Shira and the Shira is more memorable. But according to both Raviol Binun and Rav Al-Khanan Samet um, a different argument is being proposed. And I'd, 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 uh, I'd put it in the following way. There is a cycle of Galut and Gula, of exile and redemption which is a, a huge cycle. And we, we experience this uh, both with the destruction of the first temple with the exile to Babylon and the return and then with the exile of the Second Temple, which uh, which led to the exile of Rome, the destruction of the Second Temple, and the dispersion of the Jewish people around uh, around the globe. And in fact, this is a exile which we are experiencing even till today. That is the cycle of exile and, and redemption. However, there is another cycle entirely. That cycle might be familiar to many of our listeners from the book of uh, Shoftim, the book of Judges, you uh, and then followed by Shoftim. And the book of Judges describes a dreadful historical reality which took place for about 300 years. It started about a generation or two after the entry into Eretz Israel, after the establishment of our nation-state, and continued more or less till the advent of the monarchy in Israel. And what was this situation? This was characterized by a a lack of stability, a constant attraction to other cultures, to idolatry, which would be followed by an inner weakening, where Bene Israel wouldn't have the wherewithal to stand before their nations. Other people would come along and try and invade. There was no national government. And periodically, the Tanakh always seems to indicate that this takes place in 40-year increments and then in 20-year increments, that uh, we would diverge from our appropriate religious uh, direction, we would serve idols, we would then be invaded for a period of time, maybe 7 years or 20 years or however long, we would cry out to God somehow a saviour would be delivered, whether it be Otniel, or whether it be Ehud or whether it be Gidon or whether it be Yiftach or Shimshon, who would lead us to victory, would would uh, send our enemies packing back to their borders. But eventually when calm came along, um, we would go back to our waywardness, we would go back to our sinning. And this is precisely the pattern which takes place not within exile and redemption, but within Eretz Israel, of constant border incursions, constant troubles, constant uh, invasion, constant um, trouble with each of our, our neighboring states. In the case of uh, the book of, of uh, Shoftim, sometimes it is Aram, Syria who are invading, sometimes it is Moav. Uh, sometimes it is Ammon. Sometimes it's an invasion from the desert of people of Midian or Amalek. Sometimes it is the Plishtim. This is not uh, global warfare. This is not zero sum game. This is not the huge Roman Empire or the huge Babylonian forces. This is simply enemy states who, bor- who border on us, who, who are neighbors, who border upon us, and who occasionally will sense our inner weakness and will come and invade. And this is a cycle which we see in the book of Shoftim, of constant invasion, harassment, call it um, intifada, call it what you like, but uh, the result is that every time we move away from God, and we get too involved in our va'ishman uh, yushirun va'ivat, in our standard of living, and rebel against God, then we experience the ensuing uh, punishment, until God takes up our case again, we cry out to God, God takes up our case, you'll notice that in book of Shoftim we don't really experience Teshuvah, just like in, Sefer Sh- in in Shirata Azinu, there isn't very much Teshuvah. God saves us, and we will deal with this theme at the end of today's shir, God saves us despite ourselves, not because of our return to him. So I think it's important to put this Shira in the correct proportions. Let's return to, uh, to the questions we raised earlier. Why is it that we need to put this in the form of a shirah? Why does it need to be so readily available for the Jewish people? That's question one. Number two, why after we've heard the Tochachah of uh, Kitavo and the Tochachah of Nitzavim do we need to hear this yet another time? And the answer is that this isn't describing the existential drama of, of, of exile and redemption. Rather, than this is describing A constant temptation which will befall us in Eretz Yisrael. And it's going to tell us the story of Eretz Yisrael. It's going to tell us the story of of how our attraction to the idolatries of the local tribes of the Canaanites, the attraction to the Baal and Asherah and what have you, will lead us constantly to lose our identity to become vulnerable, to be invaded, and that God will punish us until the punishment is over and we can restore back and hopefully live a life where we aren't susceptible to those attractions. Um, and in fact, this did happen on a constant cycle for 300 years during the Shoftim period. And, um, and this is what is predicted by Shirata Azinu. I will I will maybe here diverge from a, a direct study of Tanakh, but say a more contemporary comment. When I heard Ravyol bin Nun talk about this some years ago, he said that sometimes people are despondent and when they in, in Medina Israel of today and they despair. They realise that periodically we experience all sorts of uh, troubles um of one sort or another, national security troubles, and they wonder is God taking away the country for us? Is this the Galut? And people uh, talk about this in, in in terms of total destruction and absolute uh, rack and ruin. And Raviol Binun suggested that possibly people should put things into a into a different proportion. That sometimes our troubles are not the troubles of Kitavo, but they're the troubles of Hazinu. They're not the troubles of uh, existential destruction, but rather they are... Um, the harassment which is predicted by God—that if we don't keep the direction that we're meant to in our in our in our promised land, then we will suffer all manner of of military disturbances, uh, which don't necessarily don't necessarily threaten to absolutely dislodge us from the land, and nonetheless will make life uh, insufferable will make life horrible. And uh, this is a reminder, and this is a Tap on the shoulder in order to have us retain our spiritual orientation to recalibrate us, to remind us of where our true allegiances should be. So that is the difference that I wanted to outline here between a cycle of Galut and gu'ula on the one hand and a cycle of punishment um, which takes place while we still remain within the land. And that's to put Shirata Azinu in the correct perspective. Okay, we're going to move on to two other themes here. And um, the first one that we're going to talk about relates to the way that Ben Israel are described in Shirat Ha'zenu as God's children. Um, If you take a look here, right at the beginning, um, Hashem says... God is perfect, lo is God guilty of wrongdoing No. Banav Mumam Dorikeshu And here we say no, is God capable of the wrongdoing? No, it is Banav Mumam. It is his sons who are at fault. Here we have the sense of us as God's children, and later on we see in the next Pasuk, Pasuk Six, Pasuk vav, He is your father who acquired you. Later on we also see this. If you look in Pasuk Yotep for example, That we are his uh, children and we anger him, we irritate him. Later on in Pasuk 20, that we talk about the idea that God sees us as unreliable children. Um, This metaphor of parents and children is familiar to us. Already earlier on in Sefer Devarim, we have the notion of you are um, children to God, and therefore there are all sorts of implications of that. But so many different places in Sefer Devarim, Hashem relates to us as Banim. As children. And this is not only in Sefer Devarim For example, in Sefer Shemot, we see that Moshe is told to approach Pharaoh and say, B'ni B'chori Yisrael. Am Israel are my, are my firstborn child. Now, I, I point this out because, of course, there is a different possibility as to the, or a different, uh, mode of description of the relationship between Bnei Yisrael and Hashem. Because certain other neviim do not compare us to a parent and a child, but rather compare us to a husband and a wife, and this is a, a very very different metaphor. Some of you will be familiar with the psukim um, in Sefer Yeshayahu. Koamar Hashem, so says God. Eze Sefer Kritut imchem Hashem Did I ever divorce your your mother? In other words, did I ever divorce? Bnei Israel. in other words, the relationship here is one of of husband and wife, and of course if it's Eze Sefer there can be both uh, in a marriage, not only can there be betrayal, but there can be divorce. Let me try and uh, elaborate. By the way, Yishayahu is not the only person to use the metaphor of husband and wife. It is very clearly the underscores the entire narrative of Shir Hashirim, it is also mentioned in the book of Hosea, where Hosea takes a a whoring woman as his wife, and uh, if you read through Perak Aleph, and especially Perik Bet, you will see that Bnei Israel is uh, compared to a, a unfaithful wife, a wife who is not loyal to her husband um, in, in, in any way, and is punished for this. This is not only in the book of uh of Yahu, it's not only in the book of She'ah, it's not only in the book of She'ah HaShirim, if you open the book of uh, Yecheskel, you will find this in, all over the Sefer, you will find metaphors which uh, relate to Am as husband as husband, uh, as, as the wife, if you want, of Hashem. Now, of course, these two different modes of metaphor are, are highly different from one another. And let me try and elaborate uh, the differences. If uh, we are Hashem's um, wife, so to speak, then if I can return to Shir HaShirim, um, the relationship between husband and wife is one of unbelievable intimacy of the pangs of love, of the uh, beauty of love, and uh, we see the yearning and the and the passion and the heights which can be reached uh, in Shir HaShirim. And yet, at the same time, there is always the possibility of uh, betrayal, of waywardness, waywardness of, of of the breakdown of the marriage. In fact, Chazal frequently use this metaphor of husband and wife. They compare Har to a chupa, and they compare the Cheta Egel to uh, Kalashe Zinta Tachat Chupata, the bride who has an affair during her wedding party. Um, And this leads to an unbelievable betrayal. And of course, if uh, we can have marriage, the Torah already tells us that there can be divorce. Of course, Ishayah is saying, God never divorced us, it was just a period of separation. But of course, the potential is there if we use the metaphor of of marriage for there to be a termination of the marriage. Chas v'Shalom. Now, it's interesting that the Torah steers very clear of these metaphors of marriage it is true that there are places in which it is hinted when Hashem talks about his kin'ah his jealousy that reminds us of the parsha of sata the tishto, how there can be human jealousy of a husband or a zealous, a zealous attitude towards marriage and many people have spoken about the interesting usage of the word for example uh, of zanutz. Uh, the the asher which can be used both for a marriage and also as a metaphor, the Torah uses for abodazara. Uh, likewise, after after cheta um, egel, Hashem talks about us doing in reference to abodazara. He says atem chata chata agdola, where chata agdola, the great sin in many ancient cultures and in the Torah as well. Uh, we hear it in the in the language of Avimelech is referred to uh, is the sin of, of adultery. In other words, when Avimelech accuses Avraham of calling Sarah his sister and almost bring him to a situation of adultery, he turns around and says to him, "Why didn't you tell me he was your uh, he was that she was your wife?" And she says. You would have brought upon me a sin of adultery. When Moshe turns around to Israel after the eagle and says, Atem Khatatem chata he is saying that we are expected to be as monogamous to, to God, as loyal to God, as exclusive to God, as a wife should be to her husband. And yet, despite all of these references between the lines of the Torah, the Torah is very careful never to treat um, the relationship between God and Israel as a relationship of husband and wife uh, but rather as a relationship of father and son and the question is why one possibility is that in the pagan world God there was a, a, a very dramatic um, sexual element to paganism and uh, for example you had male elements of the God and female elements of the God You had the Baal, which was male, and the Asherah, which was female. And this led to all sorts of perversions, sexual perversions, the Kadesh and Kadeshah. And the Torah, in its desire to steer us away from paganism, kept totally away from any um, personification of the relationship between God and Israel, in terms of husband and wife, in terms of the marital union. Um, in order to ensure that we remained as far as possible from the terms and references of, of the pagan world. But uh, there might be another explanation, and that is, that is uh, pretty simple on the basis of the sketch that I gave before, which is that if we are God's children, we might rebel, we might yell at our father, we might storm out of the house, we might act in a way that our father doesn't like, but yet, we are tied with an unbreakable bond to our parents. Our parents create us, they give us the very DNA that we that, that, that is in our body, they raise us, and they will always be our parents. And we will always be the children. There is no possibility of, of divorce. There is no possibility of breaking the relationship. And this goes to the heart of Shirata Azinu. Shirat Tazinu says um, that Hashem even considered destroying the Jewish people. I said I would destroy them. I said that maybe I would destroy their, their memory. I would destroy the Jewish people from mankind. That there would be no possibility of Am Israel continuing. And then he says, he gives an, an, an interesting argument. He says, the reason why he doesn't destroy us is because of what the nations would say. He says, if I destroy the Jewish people, what will their enemies say? They will say, we are so strong. It isn't God doing this, it's us. Here we encounter a very familiar theme which we've seen in other places in the Torah. We know it from the story of the golden calf, the Egel HaZahab well Hashem doesn't destroy us because of Lama Yom Ruh Mitzrayim. God says I would destroy them but what will Egypt say the same argument is used here almost as if God has to be responsible for his own public relations God is concerned that if he destroys the Jewish people they will turn the, the nations around will turn around and not see it as a reflection of Am Israel's sin and, but rather see it as an absence of, of God's power they will somehow see it as a reflection on, on God and not a reflection of man. And they will maybe turn along with sort of a megalomaniac um, attitude and say, well, we are so strong, we destroyed the Jewish people. And it's it's all our strength. And they won't see the Jewish people as being destroyed as an act of God, but rather as an absence of God. And then the memory of God will be will be lost completely. The Ramban relates to this in his commentary on on on, uh, on this parsha, and he makes an amazing amazing comment. He says, if Shirat Hazinu describes how we are so rebellious, we are on Amk Oreth He says, um, why does God put up with us? Why does God let the Jewish people survive if we're so if we constantly betray God and we have such difficulty in following His laws? Why does God bother? So the Ramban says this. He says, um, you know, and he, with this he explains why we constantly, um, why we what the secret of Jewish survival, let's call it this, this way. He says, HaShem Adam b'tachtonim she'akirat delishmo. The Almighty created man on earth to acknowledge and give thanks to his name. Well, maybe I'll read it in English giving man free choice to do evil and good. When mankind fell into sin, only this one people, Am Israel, remained to publicize his name. Through them, God publicized his name through miracles and wonders and showed that he is the God of all gods to be known throughout the nations. Now, should the memory of Israel be forgotten, the peoples would forget his signs and his wonders Completely and this would utterly defeat the purpose of his creation. No one would survive who would know him. The will that was behind creation, therefore, justified the raising up of an eternal people close to him, knowing him more than other people's. And this was the argument that Moses used to persuade God to spare the people, and indeed to forgive them according to Moses' word. According to this, the survival, the remarkable survival of the Jewish people throughout the ages because somehow the name of God has been, been emblazoned into our into our national collective identity and that somehow for all time we will be seen as the chosen people, as the people who God has chosen and that were Chas Vashalim Am Yisrael to disappear, God's reputation disappears along with us. The proof of God, the testimony to God, the um, God's witnesses so to speak will disappear from the face of the earth and along with that the ability of God to manifest himself within history within human society I know it sounds like a remarkably backwards argument why does God need the Jewish people? we should need God it's almost as if God's reputation is reliant is contingent upon the continuation of the Jewish people Though that is precisely what we see through several different sources, throughout Tanakh, that God says, I would destroy the Jewish people, but it will look bad for me. This starts with the argument of the Egel, it follows through with the argument with the spies, the Meraglim, it comes through here, you will find it in the book of Ezekiel, in many places in the book of Sefer Melachim, all over the place. This notion that Hashem is interested in spreading his own Kiddush Hashem, and that if Am Yisrael are destroyed, that uh, he will have no representative on earth. And here I come back to the idea that we are God's children, in the same way as children represent their parents, they frequently resemble their parents, we are God's children, and this is a, an unbreakable link. This is a link that cannot be severed. And there, therefore, despite the dark, gloomy, vengeful, rage-filled um, lines of, of, of Shirata Azinu, we also see a sense of promise, a sense of understanding that we are Hashem's children. And here we are standing at Yamim Noraim, talking about Avinu, that Hashem is Avinu, Im kubvanim, that we are God's children, and that we understand that He will be Merachem Albanim, that He will have mercy on His children, um, and, that, and that He will do that either because we have done Shuvah, but even if we haven't done Shuvah, because God Himself is tied to Am Yisrael, He is not going to let us be destroyed and he is going to continue the existence of the Jewish people throughout history so that we can eventually uphold his name. He will sometimes, unfortunately, punish us severely. And the aim of this is to remind us of our identity and to remind us of our legacy, to remind us of our task in the world. And that is what Shirat Hazinu comes to teach. And yet, God will not destroy his people. He will always remain our father and we will always remain his children.